about physical warfare where Israel was about to possess the blessings that God had given them in Canaan. So we finished up chapter 1 and come to chapter number 2, so there's really no way. This is, here's one of my favorite words, this is a complete pericope. This is, yeah, don't you feel smart just by hearing that word? Uh, And it's a fun word to say. Um, Here's how we know that students are first-year students in New Testament class, because it's written like this. How would you say that if you were a first-year theology student? The pericope, yeah. So when folk go to talking pericopes with us, we know that they're, they're just starting out on this journey. Pericope, it's a fun word to say. Uh, it's a complete story. So we've got to deal with this entire story as a unit. So that's what we're going to do. I'm not going to apologize for reading all 24 verses because I promise you this is the most powerful, most important thing you'll hear all day Amen. is God's Word, right? So let's listen to this story. Follow along with me in um, Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight and search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them." But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that Yahweh, check this out, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og who you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no longer remained in any man any courage because of you. For here we go, here's this this formulaic, Yahweh your Elohim, for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by Yahweh, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sister with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when... Yahweh, the Lord, gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made with us. Swear unless we come that you have made us swear. When we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself and to your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head." and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid upon him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers sought them along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Surely... The Lord has given us all the land into your hands, or has given all the land into your hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Well, that's a pretty good pericope, isn't it? That'd make a pretty good bedtime pericope, as a matter of fact. Uh, Just a good story. But there's a lot of peculiarities here in this story, and you know when I have my whiteboard before me, or behind me, it means I'm going to show you some peculiarities of this story. Now, here's what's cool about the Bible. The form in which the literature comes as important as the content which comes to us. And this story comes to us in a certain form that we've got to look at. Now, this form that I'm going to show you, hear me, I wouldn't show this in a lot of places. I would not. This is seminary type stuff, okay? So what you're getting today is stuff that pay a lot of good money in order to get. But hear me, don't you worry your little head over this stuff, okay? Because it takes a trained eye and many years of study in order to be able to see these things in Scripture. Here's why I'm showing it to you. I want you more and more to appreciate the intricacies of God's Word. I mean, I really do. Do you know this book is really remarkable? And we say that, but most of us don't know why. But there is so much in this book that our pointed little heads will never even contemplate. We just won't see them because it's such an amazing book. It is indeed a divine book. But now let me show you how this form helps us understand the function of this story in Joshua chapter 2. And if we miss these kind of things, this is why so many preachers today are off in the weeds somewhere. Because they don't understand form. And form will help you stay in the middle of the road. What I want to show you here in Joshua chapter 2 is known as 
a chiasm. So let me write that down for you. There it is right there. C-H-I-A-S-M, a chiasm. And a chiasm is a literary device that's employed very frequently in the Hebrew Scriptures. I mean, when you can work in Hebrew, you see chiasms just blossom everywhere. And a chiasm can take place over an entire chapter, as we have right here in Joshua chapter 2, or a chiasm can take place over a course of a very tight uh, group of verses, like in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, boom, chiasm. We got it right there. But anyway, here's what a chiasm does. Let me write it out here, and it's important that you write it on your paper just like I write it on the board. If you don't write it just like I do, you're going to miss the chiasm, okay? So here we go. Here's how a chiasm functions. Let's look at verse number 1. In verse number 1, we have Joshua sending spies. Do you see that? That's in verse number 1. Now, a chiasm is going to have parallel statements. So just stay with me here as we walk through this. Now here's where you got to write it just like I do. Because this is the significance of a chiasm. Alright, next we have in verses 2 through 7, we have their arrival in Jericho. And let's just put a slash and put concern for safety. And that's in verses 2 through 7. And then, after that, we have in verses 8 through 14, we have something else. We have a confession of faith by Rahab. Now, here's where we start to see the chiasm develop. Because here's the parallel statement to 2 through 7. In verses 15 through 21 we have departure of the spies and also concern for safety. So that's verses 15 through 21. Now here's your other parallelism, or your other parallel statement. It's going to come, come down here. And this is where Joshua receives the spies back, and that is the account is in verses 22 through 24. Now, I want you to back out and look at this with me for a little while. Here's a chiasm. Here's your parallel statements. One, two, three, four, and here is our confession of faith. Now, what do you notice about this? This is a chiasm. What do you notice? we got an arrow there pointing us to something, don't we? And what is it pointing us to? It's pointing us to this confession of faith and this story that's found in verses 8 through 14. So what a chiasm does, it was the author's way of showing you in this body of literature what he intends for you to understand and what he intends us or what he intends to be our major focus. So what is the focus of this story? It is this confession of faith given by Rahab in verses 8 through 14. Now, if we don't understand that as, 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 as Bible interpreters and expositors, we're going to end off in the weeds somewhere. Can I tell you, I have heard a lot of sermons on Joshua chapter 2, and a lot of them focus on things like this right here. A lot of them focus, Katie, on 
is it ever right to do wrong? Because Rahab did what? She told a lie, didn't she? So the entire thrust of the sermon is about that. Now what does that tell us form-wise? It tells us the expositor is missing the main point of the story, which is the confession of faith. So we want to look at this because this is the marvel in this story, this confession of faith that's given by this citizen of Jericho, Rahab. So here we go. Let's check out this pericope now that we know what it is that we're looking at. And here's what I want to speak to us about today on this Father's Day. Man, a good family message, is it not? Here's, Here's the subject. Saving prostitutes like us. And here's what I want you to see. I want you through this to see that you really are no better than than Rahab. And Rahab really is no worse than us, however you want to frame it. We are cut from the same cloth. And Rahab here really gives us a picture of what God does, not just when He saves her, but when He saves us also. So I want you to look and I want you to just put yourself over the template of Rahab here and I want you to see what God did in saving her and guess what? The parallel is you. Because what He did to save her is the same thing that He did in saving every one of us. So this story is really, really about salvation. It's about soteriology. It's about how does God save people. And man, that's always been my theological hobby horse. You know, eschatology really doesn't doesn't do it for me. Uh, Those types of things that a lot of people are drawn to like a moth drawn to a candle. But it's salvation itself, the miracle of salvation. How and why and when and what is involved when God saves somebody. Because son, this is indeed a miracle. And it happens more often than we think. So here we go. Saving prostitutes like us. What does God do? Well, I think this pericope and this chiasm teaches several things. But number one, I think that this pericope or this story teaches us that when God saves prostitutes like us, there is a departure from the normal pathway. A departure from the normal pathway. Now check this out, this entire story. I want you to see how this entire story in chapter 2 is a departure from the flow of the entire narrative of the book of Joshua. I mean, Joshua's going this way. He's got a purpose. We're going like this. Oh, but wait a minute. Chapter 2 goes way over here for seemingly some unknown reason. Does this, and then chapter 3 he picks back up and goes back on his way again. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at your Bible. Look at chapter 1, preparation for possessing the promise. And then if you skip chapter 2 altogether, just leave it out, and just went to chapter number 3, you would see that the story would flow probably better. It's more direct. So chapter 1, skip chapter 2. I mean, Joshua tells them to get ready in chapter number 1. Then look how chapter 3 opens. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. He and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. You see how that flow is more direct? And this has caused a lot of 
hire biblical scholars to say that obviously chapter 2 don't fit here, so it can't be a part of God's Word. It had to be added by some later scribe, and I say, oh, that's baloney. Here's the difference in them and us. They want to question God's Word in order to tear it apart. We want to read God's Word in order to profit from it and, and, and show that it is right. Huh? So notice what he does here. It's a departure from the flow. It's a departure from the flow not only stylistically, but it's also a departure from the flow in function and purpose. Because the entire purpose of Joshua is to show the military conquest and defeat of the land of Canaan. And boy, it's ruthless, is it not? I mean, the cup of the Amorites is indeed full. 400 years had passed since God had told Abraham what he was going to do, but not now because their iniquity, the cup of their iniquity is not yet full. Man, God's long-suffering. Did you know that? He gave 400 years for those dudes to repent, and they didn't. So now Joshua, their cup is full, and Joshua, uh, God says to Joshua, when you go in there, I want you to spare nothing. You kill the daddies, you kill the mamas, you kill the babies, you kill their cows, their goats, their dogs, and their cats, you wipe them out. That's the story of conquest in Joshua. But wait a minute. Chapter 2 is not a story of ruthless killing and slaying and conquest. Chapter 2 is a story about what? About salvation. Yeah, and about God's grace. So it is a departure from the normal pathway. And can I say to you that the parallel is that when God saves prostitutes, whether it's Rahab or me or you, there's always a departure from the natural flow of things. Huh? God goes out of His way to save people. God went way out of His way to save you and to save me. Isn't it coincidental? We normally tell folk when we ask them to do something for us, we say, hey, but don't go out of your way now for me. Don't inconvenience yourself, but I want you to know when God saved you, He went a long way from the pathway, huh? I mean, just stop and think about it. From eternity past, the triune Godhead in perfect Trinitarian fellowship needed nothing or nobody. God simply created because He wanted to. And we messed all of that up. But one day in the Trinitarian Council, second person of the Trinity says, tell you what I'll do, I'll be born of a virgin. Son, is that a departure from normal Godhead stuff or what? I'll be born of a virgin in a manger in a little place called Bethlehem and I'll grow up a lonely, humble carpenter's son. But when I'm 30 years old, I will come out in the public as... God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, and I'm going to go around doing good and teaching and exegeting God for men, and I'm going to, in the process, make them mad enough that they're going to want to kill me. And he said, I'm going to be quiet the whole time I'm in kangaroo court, because if I open my mouth, I will inadvertently slay the little pinheads with the sword of my mouth. So I'm going to be quiet. And then I'm going to let them nail me to an old rugged cross. And they're going to take me down and put me in a cold, borrowed cave for three days. But on the third day, I'm going to come out of there with death in my hand. And I'm going to come back. And in doing so, we're going to save some of them. We're going to save... Hey, was that a departure from the normal flow of divine activity? 
I would say God has went out of His way to save you and to save me. Now, man, how does it make you feel when somebody goes out of their way to do something nice for you? Huh? I mean, do you remember that time when David was running and he was on the run and he said, man, what I wouldn't do to give a, give, what I wouldn't give for a drink of water out of this well that I used to drink out of when I was a little boy. And four or five of his Navy SEAL um, uh, guys that were around him said, hey, did y'all hear what the king said? He said he wanted some of that water. Let, let's go and get it for him. David was so blown away at what they went through to get him a glass of water until he couldn't drink it. He said, no, 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 no. This stuff is holy. I'm going to offer this to the Lord. That was just a drink of water. Son, how far out of God's way, how far off the beaten path did he go to save your honey? And yet we act sometimes like we're entitled to more than what he's done for us and not grateful for it. See, when God saves prostitutes like us, he's got to take a little detour, doesn't he not? Huh? And that's what he did in saving Rahab. That's the purpose of this departure from the pathway and the flow in Joshua. Stylistically, it's to teach us a lesson. But number next, when God saves prostitutes like us, in sending the spies or in sending the messengers, there's an alternate purpose. Now stop and think with me and think of the parallels here between you and them and her and us and all of that type of stuff. Notice what it is that, that, that Joshua, Joshua did. The Bible says that Joshua sent, in, in, in verse number 1, he sent two men out as spies. Now, follow me. If their main purpose was to be spies, they failed miserably. Did they not? That's exactly They. I mean, the door ain't even shut behind them and the king's knocking on the door saying, Hey, where's them two men that came in here? That wasn't too covert, was it? I mean, my goodness, they hadn't been to spy school long enough because everybody knew that they were there. So they failed miserably if they were spies. And by the way, you ever wonder, how is it that the king of Jericho knew that they were there as soon as they got there? Remember our comparison between Ephesians and Joshua? Spiritual warfare is a reality. And hear me, as soon as God sends you out to do something for the kingdom, the powers of darkness already know it. Don't, don't think you can keep a secret from them. They already know it. And they're already putting a plan in motion to stop you. That's just the way it goes. But now notice here, there was an alternate purpose. Joshua said, I'm sending you guys out as spies. But did you notice the passage that Savannah read this morning? What was it that, um, what was it that James called them? He didn't call them spies. What did he call them? He called them messengers. You see, their entire purpose wasn't to go and spy and gain reconnaissance that would help them in their military strategy because did anything they learned in that city help them with their military strategy? Nothing. They profited nothing as spies. They failed miserably as spies. Matter of fact, when they come to conquer Jericho, they don't have to even come up with a plan. God gives them the plan, right? And it was a plan that they would have never developed no matter how much reconnaissance they had. So I submit to you that their purpose, their higher purpose was not to be spies. Their purpose was to go there because God had somebody in that city that He wanted to get the message of the gospel to and He'll move heaven and earth. He'll depart from the normal flow of the narrative. He'll leave the common pathway in order to get the gospel to those whom He's seeking. And son, that's what He did. He got the gospel to this old girl he got messengers to her, not spies. 
They had an alternate purpose. Now, how does this parallel with, with your story? Well, in several ways. C can I just say to you, when God saved you, did you get up that day and say, I think today is the day of salvation? You did not. <laughs> you were just getting up, going on what you thought was your purpose, and all of a sudden God intersected your path with the gospel. Did He not? But now, wait a minute. Let's put yourself in the position of the spies. How many times have you got up in the morning and put on your britches and shoes and thought you were just going to the doctor's office for a routine checkup? And you get there and there's somebody in the, in the waiting room with you and you have a gospel conversation with them and you realize all of a sudden that God's alternate purpose in your day was not to go to the doctor but to talk to somebody that was sitting there. Huh? Hey, why does it work this way? Because if you knew what all God had planned for you today, you'd mess it up so bad, nobody could fix it. Huh? And here are these spies. They think they're going to be great spies. In years to come, how-to spies going to be written because of what they did. No, 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 no. They ain't, they ain't, they ain't going to be no, no, no spy teachers, are they? Because they blew that purpose. Well, they even got the gate shut behind them. Folk knew they were there. And by the way, why go to the house of a prostitute? So many people think, oh no, the good children of Israel would have never went into the house of a prostitute. May I remind you, they were trying to be spies. And guess where the stream of people were going to? <laughs> huh? This was probably a brothel. So they just kind of fit right in. And it's interesting that, 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 that Rahab knows all about God. How did she know about God? Faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing. I bet some of those guys that were coming through that brothel were telling her, hey man, have you heard what's happening on the other side of the Jordan? Ironic, but through her profession, she was hearing the gospel. Next thing you know, she's sinner in salvation history. Check out what else is going on when God saves prostitutes like us because we're just like her. She's just like us. There's a departure from the normal pathway. In sending the messengers, there's an alternate purpose. I wonder, what, what's God's alternate purpose for you today? And are you going to recognize it when it pops up in the normal flow of your day because you think you got something else to do? You know, here's normally what we do. We see it pop up, but we're so bent on our purpose until we say, I ain't got time for that today. And there we go. And we miss what it is that God had for us. You know, it's probably a good thing that the king knew they were there because those guys didn't have any choice. They had to hide in her house, right? If they'd have got there and everything would have been hunky-dory, you think they'd have spent time with Rahab? Absolutely not. They'd have got out and they'd have been going around doing spy stuff. But they couldn't help but stay there because the king was hot on their Ain't it amazing? You know, the devil's too dumb to know it, but God even uses him to accomplish his purpose. Huh? He does. Now check this out. Notice number next. When God saves prostitutes like us... There is usually, and I'm sorry I put the wrong word in the blank, but after I saw it, I said I ain't going back to change it. There's usually an uncommon person. Usually an uncommon person involved. Now, here's what I mean by uncommon. Let's look at the obvious here. Who would have ever guessed that she was a candidate for salvation? She was a Jerichoite. She was a complete pagan with a plethora of false gods. Not only was she a pagan, but she was a harlot. Hey, you know anybody you think, ain't no way they'll ever be saved. 
I'm looking at about 80 of you right now. <laughs> I mean, I really am. And you're looking at one too. Who said that? <laughs> Woman, this is Father's Day. You're supposed to be nice to me. <laughs> oh, I am your daddy too. <laughs> Mr. Monk, this thing done went south quick, didn't it? <laughs> done went south quick. Hey, there was an, <laughs> there was an uncommon person. Now, 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 not only did she start out uncommon, but she continued to be uncommon. And this is the point I think the author's trying to make. Because here's the deal. In Jericho, how many folks were saved? Rahab. Yeah, I, I mean, Rahab. She was, the, she was the only one out of all of Je- out of her whole world. You know, and her family rode her coattail. Did they not? If it hadn't been for her, none of them would have, would have got out of there. But stop and think about it. In her entire world, in all of her culture, in all of her social network, in all of her influence, she's the only one out of that gang that was saved. Everybody else perished. Now let's follow this right on along. When God saves somebody like you and me, it's very uncommon. Here's how it's uncommon. Because God just don't save us and get us up to the edge where we make a profession of faith and we get our get out of hell card free punched, huh? Where we have fire insurance. So something takes place. Hey, we are the only one out of our social network out of our peer group, out of our culture, out of our walk. Man, I'm telling you, that's uncommon. You're the only one saved out of all of that. You see, salvation has never been about the masses. Did you know that? But modern man-centered evangelism has made it about the masses. You read the Old Testament and God talks about a remnant that shall be saved. It was only Israel. I mean, you stop and look about how... As a matter of fact, Jesus taught that. Here's what Jesus taught. He said, Broad is the way, and wide is the gate that leads, it, leads unto destruction. And many there are on that. And then He talks about salvation. He says this, But narrow is the way. Straight, strict is the gate. And there's a whole bunch of people on that. Is that what He said? No, He said there's few. There's few on it. So let me tell you how you're uncommon. Can I, uh, hey, can I just get right down to where we live today and call some of y'all out? Can I? I'm going to do it. Hey, let me call some of y'all out. Look at Bo and April Durham. Do you know how uncommon it is for folk to come from where they came from, out of their culture, out of their world, to be saved and still be walking in that path 20 years on the other side of it? Son, that's uncommon. That's uncommon. Hey, can I stop right here on the front row and look at Alicia and Jamie Baker? Do you know how uncommon it is for people to be saved out of your world where you came from? Not only just to say, yeah, I want fire insurance, but to be born again and saved and changed and be living it at the risk of your own life? Man, that's uncommon. Is it not? Uh, Tell me your name again. Do you know how, do you know it's a miracle that you're saved? Do you know that? Do you know out of your whole world that you came from, 
You were the one who God set His affection on and called you out of that. And look what God's done in your life. My gosh. How, let me just go all the way around this room. Y'all get the point? <laughs> Do y'all get my point? Jerry. Son, you're uncommon. The crowd that you ran out with are going to hell because they're ignoring the gospel. Dane, son, do you know you were a professional making big bucks and God called you out of that? Where are all of your classmates? I tell you where they are. They're still on that pathway pursuing the dollar. How many more people do I need to point out going around this room? Listen to me, Grace Church. If you've been born again and saved, you are uncommon. You are uncommon. That's all there is to it. Because not everybody in your world has ended up like you've ended up. My goodness, i got to move. When God saves prostitutes like us, it's usually an uncommon person. Verse number one, that was Rahab. But in Bonifay, Florida, that's you. And that's me. Hey, can I just, I, I can't leave this. Can I just tell you that I grew up in a little place called Lausanne, Mississippi. Most folk there are still speaking French, I think. We come down here today, and I was listening to a song on the radio talking about Beausoleil's and Fado Do's, and Heather saying, well, how do you know, son, I grew up in a French community, French Catholic community. The elementary school I went to, the year I started in the first grade, the nuns just left the year before. We're talking Louisiana voodoo-type Catholic stuff, huh? That's what we're talking about. Hey, teachers in the second grade was having to confiscate Copenhagen out of our britches. Because <laughs> back then it was against school. I don't know, can you dip Copenhagen school today? But back then you couldn't. And they was confiscating it from second graders. And look here, son, I mean, I grew up in a redneck crowd of voodoo, Louisiana... Catholic rednecks. And out of all of my circle of influence, out of all my world, guess who the only one is? And folk have the audacity today to look at God and point a finger at Him as if they're accusing Him, saying, God, why don't you save? And let me tell you something. When you're that uncommon person, you don't look at God and say, God, why don't you save everybody? When you're that uncommon person, you look at God and you bow down on the floor and you try to get under the carpet and you say, Oh God, why did you save me? You see, that's the difference in perspective. That's an uncommon person. Check out number next. Let's get to the heart of this thing. You can see where I tried to structure the heart of my message in keeping with this chiastic flow here on the board. When God takes prostitutes, not only is there an, un, un, an, un, an uncommon person, but that uncommon person has a heightened perception. You know, here's how I know that God's at work in somebody's life. Because all of a sudden they are spiritually keen, son. They're sensitive. They know some things that other folk don't know, Caleb. Because the Spirit of God's at work in their life. Here's how I know when God's nowhere around somebody. Because they got the spirituality of a bird dog. They don't see anything in the spiritual realm. 
They don't make any connections. They never will because they're spiritually blind. They are oblivious to the fact that there is even a God. But when God begins to work, son, there is spiritual sensitivity and heightened spiritual perception. So look at this. Remember where she was. She was outside the commonwealth of Israel. She had no connection at all. She had no access to good news. She had no Hebrew scripture. She had no law. She had no Mosaic teaching. She had no witness. She had nothing. And outside of that, we got this woman whose spirituality is being heightened and her senses are very sharp, Dane. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most concise professions of faith, confessions of faith anywhere in the Old Testament. She outshines the Israelites. It's not just like God. Remember, here's what Jesus taught. Jesus frustrated with those knuckleheads in Jerusalem one day. He says, I tell you the truth. She said, there are going to be people come from way off. They're going to come way off. They're going to come from heathen lands and they're going to sit down at the table with me in the kingdom while many of the children of the kingdom are left on the outside. Here's what I'm on the outside that God's drawing in. And son, her, her, her senses are heightened and here's what she says. Here's what she knew that seemingly nobody else in Jericho knew or at least they never connected the dots. Heather asked me sometime, she'll say, well, why don't they just see that this and this equal this? Because unspiritual people cannot do spiritual math. They cannot. They never will. But notice, she's starting to add the numbers up. And here's what she knew. Number one, she knew the certainty of God's purpose. The certainty of God's purpose. Notice what she says in verse number 9. She said to the men, I... No. You see that word no? It's the Hebrew word yada, which means to have perfect intimate knowledge. It's the same word that's used when the Bible said Adam knew Eve and she conceived a son. Are you following me here? This is not just something that she conjectured. This is not just something that she thought might happen. She knew that God's purpose of giving her land to His people was as good as done. She knew it. And boy, listen to me. If lost people could just understand that one point of theology today, that you ain't going to stop God's purpose. If God has proposed it, by golly, it's going to happen. Hey, let me ask you a good theological question. Is there anything that our God wants that he's not big enough to make happen. A lot of folk answer that in the affirmative because they're just horrible theologians and bad preachers. But I'll tell you, God of the Bible don't want one thing that he's not big enough and God enough to make happen. And I'm telling you, if he's proposed it, if it's his purpose, you can fight it all you want to, but you're going to go down. She knew that God's purpose of giving that land to His people was going to happen. It was as good as done. So she knew the certainty of God's purpose. But check check out what else she knew. She knew the story of God's actions. Now look with me in verse number 10. This really catches my eye. For we have heard... There you go. You've already answered the question. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. But check this out. 
We have heard how the Lord, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God of Israel, Yahweh, dried up the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Now, here's, here's what she's highlighting. She is telling them the story of God's actions. Get this, I'm not through. You're going to write this in at the end of that point. On behalf of His people. Because that's what's important in this. It wasn't just that God did something. It's that God did something for you. And you see, that called her attention. It raised her spiritual perception. It got her antennas up because she knew that this great God of Israel was at work and He was work not just out there in space somewhere in infinity and eternity. He was at work on behalf of you. Now let me ask you a question. If that's what gets people's attention, God's work on behalf of His people, what's Bonifay, Florida, seeing God do on behalf of His people at Grace Church? Huh? I mean, has He called us out of any Egypts? Has He delivered you or me or any of us from a Jericho? Has He saved us by the blood of a lamb? like He did when they came out? Is He doing things in order to move His people in Bonifay to possess the promise that's His purpose that they possess? Because man, listen, that's when people's attention, that's when people's perception is heightened. And can I just be honest with you and call a nickel a nickel? The reason so many churches are ineffective and they ain't baptized anybody in so long that you can plant a row of collard greens in their baptistry trough is because the town in which they are planted hasn't seen God do anything for them in so long until they're wondering if there ever even is a, if, if, even is a God. Hey, listen to me, church. If we lose the story of God doing for us, in us, supernaturally uncommon things then you can forget grace growing. As a matter of fact, grace will start dying. Because ain't nobody interested in religion. Ain't nobody really interested in church. But son, you get God in the house. Not the physical building, but the body of His people. You get God involved and people start taking note. Wait a minute. The Holy Creator God of heaven is at work in His people in Bonifay, Florida? People can't help but stop and take note. Look how heightened her perception was. She knew the certainty of God's purpose. She knew the story of God's action. Verse number 11, she knew the seriousness of the situation. Look at this, Jerry, in verse 11. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. You see, here's the seriousness of the situation. Everybody in Jericho knows that it's just a matter of time before God marches across that Jordan River in battle array with His people and they wipe Jericho off the map. Can I say it like this? Judgment was coming. Judgment was just a few days out. Judgment was impending. There was a cloud of doom hanging over Jericho and that cloud of doom said to Jericho, you are as good as destroyed. And she seemed to be the only one that understood the seriousness of the situation. But can I say to you, it's the same today in the United States of America. 
hear me, judgment is coming. It's serious. If you're still alive when God decides to judge this earth, and He will judge it, huh? And I'm wondering why He don't already. I mean, I watch the news and I see stuff that absolutely makes no sense. Even to lost people, we've got so crazy. Huh? I mean, folk who are saying, I don't, identif- I don't have binary identification. Well, then what the hell? I'd like to yank their britches down and say, then what is that? <laughs> huh? I mean, come on. Stop being stupid. But here's what's going on, son. Listen to me. Judgment is coming. And we're flying flags being proud of our sinful rebellion against God while the clouds of doom are gathering and nobody even sees it. But I'm telling you, listen to me, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. But not only in that manner, if you die as an unsaved person, that's not going to be a good day. Do you know that? And do you know what? You are going to die. Your death is just as certain as judgment. And if you die and you stand before God just being a good old boy from Bonifay, I hate to tell you, but that ain't going to be a good day. You see, this situation is serious. If you're here today and you've never been born again, your, seri- your situation is more grave than the situation in, in Jericho. You're standing on the precipice of going into eternity without Christ. You are not going to be in control anymore. You are not going to have an ability to change the direction. Your eternity is going to be sealed. And so listen to me, if I was a lost person, I'd be scared to death take another breath. I really would. Because do you know the seriousness of living in hell forever and ever and ever and ever with no hope of it any getting better? Situation's serious. You know why you're uncommon? Because you knew that. But these folk out here today, they care less. They, care. They, don't even, they don't even see judgment coming. See, it takes God to be at work in somebody's life before they ever realize the seriousness of their situation. And boy, He was at work in her life. Man, look here, i got to hurry. Notice what else she knew. She knew the extent of God's sovereignty. Look at what she does. Man, here's a beautiful part of her confession of faith. Look at what she says. For Yahweh your Elohim, He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. You know what she was saying? There's not one thing that's outside his sovereign control. Hey, can I just be honest with you? Why do folk fight against the sovereignty of God? Well, why do they? I don't get it. I've got a buddy that says everybody's a Calvinist just before he goes into surgery. <laughs> and it's true. You want God to be God and do something, right? Hey, she's saying there's nothing that's outside the scope of control of Yahweh. He's God in heaven above and earth beneath. You know what? She's setting the stage for something. She knew the extent of God's sovereignty, that He is God. There's nothing He can't do. There's no place that He does not control. That He's not moving towards His eternal purpose. And here's what it all comes down to. Verse number 12, because she knew of His saving grace. Of His saving grace. Check out verse number 12. 
Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Boy, here's a good Father's Day word, huh? Deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. Here was a woman that was living in a society that lived by everything but truth. And you know, here's the cool thing. Grace and truth always go together. So she's asking him for truth. And I don't like to get off in the symbolism, but they told her, they said, you put this scarlet cord in your window. And a lot of people want to go to the blood of Christ, but I don't think that's the symbolism because we're still living in the Old Testament. But I tell you what the Israelites did place above their door when God was passing the death angel over. What was it? It was the blood of the Lamb. And when he saw the blood on their doorpost, he passed over. Everybody else in Egypt died. But these uncommon people with blood on their door were spared. And here she is asking for a saving bone of grace. My goodness, that's how God saves prostitutes like you and me. Now check out these next two things and I've got to be done. Matter of fact, I need to be done right now. When God saves prostitutes, there's heightened perception... But there's also a change of personal loyalties. A change of personal loyalties. Listen to me. Do you realize that she... Write these two things down. Here's what she did. She abandoned her people. Totally abandoned them. She withheld truth from them at the risk of her life. She risked her life for salvation. And my goodness, we won't even get up and go to church on Sunday morning to worship the God who gave it to us. And she put her life in jeopardy. If the king would have found out what she'd done, I promise you, she would have been literally flailed or skinned alive for treason. Because she abandoned her people. Her loyalty shifted from her people to his people. See, she abandoned her people and she associated completely with the people of God. That's what happens when God saves somebody. That's why, listen to me, Bonifay. You know where I'm going, don't you? I challenge you to walk through the streets of Bonifay or the city and knock on somebody's door and find one person that says they're not saved. Everybody thinks they're saved. But ask them this next question. Well, what church are you affiliated? Oh, we don't go to church. (laughs) I ain't going down there with that bunch of hypocrites. You know, look, you don't have to go to church to be saved. How many of you have heard that hogwash until you want to vomit when you hear it? Huh? Let me tell you what you do when you're saved. You turn your back on your people and you run to associate with the people of God. Warts and all, huh? You just do. God puts love in your heart for the brethren. And that's what she did. We're going to see in the narrative to come how she's living right in the middle of Israel. My goodness. And here's what I see so many times, especially in these small towns. I counsel with pastors all the time who are fired. You know why? Because most churches, if you got to stand with spiritual truth in the Bible or my good old buddy network that's ruled this church for the past 148 years, I'm standing with them. One of my preacher friends called me not long ago who's pastor in that scenario. Here's what his deacons said to him. Seven deacons got him in a room and they said, Pastor, you can let this issue go or else. Because here's what they said. Every one of us in this room are from here. We've been born here and raised here. We'll die here. You are the outsider. The way we see it, you're the most expendable one in this room. They told their pastor that. Can I say to you, those seven men need a good dose of salvation. Because they're still sticking with their people. 
rather than God's people and God's Word. And man, that's so common. It's so common. Where's your loyalty today? Is it with your crowd or is it with God's people? Because here's the deal. Your crowd ain't saved. Hey, you're the uncommon person whom God saved out of your Jericho. She was not loyal to her king at all, son. She said, my only hope is the king of kings, and I'm hanging out with his people. Now check this out, and I'm done. Not only is there a change of personal loyalties, but there's also an eternal place in history. And can I say this to you? God didn't save you just so you can go to heaven when you die. God saved you because your life is eternally significant and He wants you to do something eternally significant with us. Then after you're gone, people know that you were here for 60 or 70 or 80 years or 10 years as a believer. So here's my question to you. What eternal difference has your life made since God saved you? What eternal place in the history of salvation do you hold, do you occupy? Now let me show you how Oh, Rahab had an eternal place in history. Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see this. Remember this. Oh yeah, she's an uncommon, she's an unlikely candidate for salvation. She is a bona fide pagan prostitute. And my goodness, look where she ends up in history. Matthew chapter 1 verse number 5. You know what Matthew's doing here. He's giving us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Of the Son of God. And look in verse number 5. Here's what the Word of God says. And Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Do you know who Salmon was? He was a prince in Israel. And here a former prostitute marries a prince in Israel. They have Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth. You remember last summer we preached through Ruth? Ruth's mother-in-law, guess who she was? Rahab. Rahab was her mother-in-law. And son, she stands in an eternal place in all of history as a trophy of God saving grace, saving her uniquely out of Jericho. Don't tell me God doesn't have a plan for your life. He does. And it's eternally significant. Here's the deal. You're not on that side of the lineage of Christ. You're on this side. She's listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 for her great acts of faith. And yet so many times professing believers are forgotten before the grass even grows over the raw dirt where they were buried. I'm telling you, that's not God's purpose and that's not God's plan for those who He saves uncommonly out of Jericho. Thank God He took a detour one day for me. Thank God one day He took a detour for you. Hey, let's make the most out of it, out of our gratitude for His glory. Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word. God, would You heighten our spiritual perceptions just as You did Rahab so that we will not miss the alternate purpose You have for us today, the higher purpose that You've placed before us. God, may this church live in the flow of salvation history in such a way that Bonifay and even the uttermost parts of the earth hear what God is doing for His people in Bonifay, Florida. So I pray for these folk whom you have assembled together. God, you have a great purpose for us. God, would you cause this church to live out of gratitude for, for 
an eternal difference to take a place in history for the glory of our great God. I pray for those today who are in a serious situation. that They've never been born again. Judgment is impending. Oh God, would you call them to yourself out of their Jericho today? I pray for those who are disassociated from your people and still hanging out with their crowd and their loyalties are there. Would you call them to associate with your people today? God, whatever it is you've done, today may we have the faith of Rahab and serve this God who is Lord of both heaven and earth and submit our lives to Him for our good and your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Colin Dollar's up here on the front row. Dr. John.